Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Chicago Techies podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago Techies and their experiences. I'm your host, Ceci Fisher Benitez. Thank you for joining us. On today's episode, I am joined by Deja Baker, software engineering instructor at General Assembly Chicago. Hey, Deja, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. I'm super pumped to uh, talk to you and uh, follow your journey in tech um, and your experiences and your transition. Um, I know that, uh, I mean, we've known each other for a few years, at least know of each other. We maybe talked a couple of times, but um, I know that you were in the military before and then eventually transitioned to tech. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to hear your journey and for the audience also to learn from you. So why don't we get started? Um, let's start with your name, your pronouns, where you're from, and your occupation. All right. Thank you for having me, Julia. I'm, I'm, I'm so, so elated to be here. My name's Deja Baker. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm from Wixom, Michigan. If anyone's from Michigan. <laughs> Currently, my current role is I'm a software instructor for the software engineering immersive course at General Assembly at the Chicago campus here, uh, downtown. So awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm curious to know, did you initially intend to end up in tech um, or no? Because I know that you were enlisted in the U.S. Navy um, and you had you were kind of in your way through that military career. Um, but what was your background and kind of how did you end up in the military? And then how did how, how was that transition stepping away from the from from the Navy to tech? Yes, that's a great question, actually, and I actually wanted to touch on that. Um, I, my father was in the Navy himself, and that kind of, I have a few people that were in the military, and that kind of made me think of that as an option out of high school. So um, he was an electronics technician him, himself, so he did a lot of things with electric, electrician work, and he was very into computers. There wasn't, um, he wasn't an IT, but he was an electronics technician, and I remember working on a computer, playing around. I was always wondering, like, how, how does this stuff work? I've always been really curious about these things. And it kind of resonated with me when I went to MEPS myself to take the ASVAB exam. That's the exam you take to see what job you'll place into. And I remember them offering me all these medical jobs. I'm not sure why I was offered that at first. I remember asking the recruiter, I was like, I want to see everything that my ASVAB qualifies me for. And all of a sudden, I they show me um, a few roles stood out. IT stood out to me because it was it's technology related. And one and cryptologic technician stood out to me. I actually was trying to be a linguist, but I actually went into um, go, being becoming a cryptologic technician. And that that um, is intelligence analyst. This is what I was doing. Um, I was actually stationed in Japan, and from there, um, I always had these aspirations to to do more. So I applied to the Naval Academy, and that's I ended up getting accepted and going there and uh, majoring in computer science. That it literally resonated with me through that whole that whole process in the military of applying to the Naval Academy and getting accepted. And and what was it like um, that transition out of the military? Like what happened? Like why didn't you stay on that path? So um, I the military like usually everyone in the military pretty much knows like you get a contract you kind of I kind of had my life planned out. I was actually uh, on track to graduate your junior year. You have all of these physical exams um, to qualify for commissioning. And sadly for me, I was medically flagged at that time. I was already enlisted, so a lot of health things started coming up. Um, one thing uh, I noticed, I had a bruise on my thigh. And I, I, I normally bruise easily. I've always noticed that. 
But with um, through military training and everything, I realized like, wow, I'm not healing the same way I went to the doctor and it was pretty frightening. Um, I actually, there was a moment in time where the doctor said, um, they do a blood test. PTT, I think, is like your blood clotting. My blood takes a really long time to clot, long story short, really long time to clot. And from that is very, um, it was a term that is pretty dangerous. I, they didn't know what was wrong with me at first or like what the diagnosis was. And during that time, it was pretty scary because they opened up a medical board, which is a very long a medical process to determine if you're fit for commissioning or fit to be to to stay in the military. Um, and then I had to get hospitalized because they literally told me I was dying at first. Right. Because oh I didn't know what was wrong. I had no clue. They had no clue. So I'm in the hospital for about five days or so. This was before I was supposed to go and leave or some training during that summer. I can't remember. And. I was, it was crazy. I had to get a plasma transfusion and then eventually I get a diagnosis eventually. So I'm like, Oh, great. It's great. I'm not dying, but you still can't commission. You still cannot uh, stay in the military, et cetera. And I was crushed because <laughs> anyone that knows me knows, I remember going to boot camp. I was bawling out my eyes, had my Navy ball cap and I was saluting. I am a Navy sailor. I love America. I want to serve my country. I was that was all I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, um, I, I was on leave and I get a call from my company officer. And he says, he says, Deja, um, the, the paperwork came back. You're not able to come back to the Naval Academy this fall. And this was, that would have been my senior year. I only had one year left. So um, I went from having my whole life planned out. I was also engaged to a different, someone else at the time. I, like I had, I was like, I'm gonna get married. I'm gonna join the Navy. Everything's fine. And all of a sudden I had to figure things out. And um, the first thing I thought, I was like, okay, I have three years of computer science background. I have military, you know, I was a leader in the military. I had, I was, I was a petty officer uh, in the Navy. So I had people under me even when I was enlisted. So I said, what can I do here? I was thinking, well, I want to stay relevant. First, I thought maybe I'll just go back to school. And instead, I started looking up uh, coding boot camps. I, coding boot camp, I heard of it before. I'm sure a lot of people have that have never really, might not, might or might not have looked into it. I was like, oh, maybe this is a really great option for me. So I started looking into that. And I remember um, like Googling these things. I was like, okay, I'm from Michigan, the Midwest. I don't really want to go back to the Midwest. I never been to Chicago until I, and I came across um, Colt Platoon. I was, look, I was like, oh, this is for veterans. Uh, I was like, okay. And they have scholarships for, for, you know, um, I think uh, they had a scholarship for one woman to join the class. And I remember talking to my own instructor at the time. I was like, I think I should apply for this. I think this is, this is where I should be. And from there, I ended up applying and I got accepted. I mean, that must've been terrifying though, all of that, that whole experience. Like, and when you, when you uh, heard that from your officer, like, did you have a plan of coming back? Were you, since you, where you were stationed, where were you stationed? I was, oh, so the Naval Academy is in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, so that, <laughs> I should have clarified that. I was originally was stationed in Misawa, Japan, got accepted. Went to, I went to the Naval Academy prep school in Rhode Island, and then I went to the Naval Academy. Um, I was class in 2018 for, um, if anyone's listening, 18. <laughs> That's what people usually say across. Technically, you know, still, I still could probably go back for the the reunion or something. Yeah. Now. But yeah, I remember him calling me and um, the first thing he said, they want you to come back today. This is what he told me. He wants you to come back today. I was in Hawaii uh, visiting oh, wow. an ex and he said, 
my company office, I'm on the phone, my company, I'm on leave. I was on leave and, you know, which is, I guess, like paid vacation time. And I, I remember asking him, I was like, I, I, I respectfully, sir, I think I deserve this month off still. I want this month off to plan. If I, if I come back to Naval Academy right now, I don't know where I would go or what I would do. I was honest with him. And he said, you know, I'm, I can at least help you with that. And, I'm, and long story short, it sounded, I got that time. And I took that, I took those few weeks to figure out my next, my next plan. And that's when I was, I never Googled so hard in my life. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then cause I, I don't even think, I think when I left Hawaii, I wasn't even accepted to Copeland. So when I ended up going to Ohio and staying there for a bit, I was trying to do all my prep work. And then I was very, at the Naval Academy, you do not, you get a stipend, but I was only getting two or $300 a month stipend. So, and all I had was my belongings in my car and my car, a 2008 Hyundai Accent. I put everything in there and I drove all the way from Maryland to Ohio. And I was, and I was like, this has to work for me. I hope this works out because I, I had no place to rent. I had, I had no money. I was pretty much, I was pretty much homeless, honestly. Like literally I had no home in, to my name and and I was, and I had to just figure it out. It's That's so crazy. I mean, you, you basically had this whole like military career planned and then this happens and then you're just back to square one. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's incredible. Like, but that just goes to show like the resilience and like your, you know, the determination to, you know, do something else and make it work. So that's kudos to you. I just can't even imagine <laughs> going through that experience. Um, but anyway, for, for those who don't know, Code Platoon is basically a nonprofit that helps veterans and military spouses transition to, um, you know, into the civilian, I guess, lifestyle and workforce um, by providing the technical training um, and career placement. So you went through that boot camp, which is very similar to what you were, you're doing kind of for a living, right? Like General Assembly? Yeah, um, yes, yes, yes. Now I'm in the stripes. We're being on the other side. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Yeah, Code Platoon um, is a great program. Um, they provide... They, they not only do they, they teach the computer science material, the tech stack is relevant to the field uh, today and also afterward, they, they have an internship program. Uh, so, and that's something I was able to take advantage of uh, upon graduation, which I'm yeah. really grateful for. So I'm interested to learn a little bit more about your experience going through Code Platoon um, and kind of like that transition from becoming kind of a student and then trying to figure out your next move as far as internships or even just like an apprenticeship program. Um, I know that you and I kind of chatted even back then when you were looking for that next step and, and I was trying to help you like find that next role and, and I hope that you did. I think you did, oh. <laughs> um, but um, I'm curious to, to hear more your thoughts on that process and what we can do better, I guess, to like support these students that are going through these boot camps to finding them those roles. Oh, that's that last part was really like that's something I really want to touch on for sure. So, Cold Platoon is pretty. I would say boot camps in general are pretty rigorous. Um, I remember uh, being there for long hours, long days, and it, it took a lot. I mean, luckily for me, I had a computer science background with the, but it, that really helped me uh, become a more well-rounded uh, engineer. And um, the there were we also had mentors as part of that program, which is amazing. I still, I still talk to my mentors today about like things that are going on and like, you know, in the field and anything, see how she's doing. Um, that's, it's amazing. Like, and then afterwards, um, you interview for an internship program or apprenticeship program. And usually each cohort is different. We have different sponsors. 
uh, out of that boot camp, I got an internship with at DRW as a software engineering intern. And it was that was <laughs> it felt like my dreams were coming true. It was amazing. And I had such a great time like at that internship as well. That that was a big the biggest thing about Coplatoon was the support network, not just the instructors were supporting, the people that came in to volunteer, the TAs, the mentors, the apprenticeship program, and even the, the program after people that didn't get internships. They were they were assisted through uh, for finding a job. Most I think uh, one one classmate that didn't get a job, he ended up finding a job within six months. That's great. I mean, it sounds like they really do their practice what they preach. You know, like trying to really support um, veterans and their families to to really find that next opportunity that would kind of go far in their lives. So, what was one of the most challenging things that you went through as this process like continued for you, like from having that that internship to the next step? What what was that process like? Oh, after my internship, I think I interned for three months and I got extended and then I got a full-time role. So luckily for me, it was like a, it was a straight path trajectory to a full-time role from the apprenticeship slash internship. So that was great. I would say during my in, uh, internship is a great way out of a boot camp, I think, to gain experience because it allowed me to grow. It allowed me to fill in the gaps that the, a boot camp is great, but you only can learn so much in uh, 14 weeks, three months. So it allowed me to fill in those gaps, get more comfortable. And then and my full-time role, it allowed me to, you know, be more confident. And I learned a ton during those six months. It allowed me to come more into my role and be more, you know, be a better engineer, I think. So I would honestly recommend, uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh, my first time role, I just, I can't, you know, people, a lot of people don't consider internships. I tell my students today, consider an internship too. You know, like put your, don't put all your eggs in one basket either. It, I think that, Looking back, that was a great decision uh, to go that route. You kind of touched on this a little bit. You talked a little bit about mentorship, and um, and now I feel like you're on the other side, and now you're the one that is mentoring students. Um, so I'm just curious about your experience as you went through the, your bootcamp yourself and found your your mentors um, before landing your first role. What was that process like, too? So one one way I got a mentor was through Coplatoon, and that was the easier way. Another another mentor um, that that is still in my life today is like because I always tell people mentors don't always have to be like you or have the same experiences, but I still believe it's helpful. Um, my my main men, my one mentor that I've even at the Naval Academy uh, is I'll just she has a book Miss Janie Mine. She's the first African American uh, and uh, women first class of women class of eighty, and um, she really stood out to me because. Her journey is full of resilience and the stuff she went through with the Naval Academy back, back in the 70s. It's a way different world than it is now. And um, those are the people that I'll, and then also at my, first, my last job, I always look towards people that are where I want to be, if that makes sense. Like, okay, I'm like, oh, I see this person. I see how they interact with people. This is the, it's not just the position part of it, more like they're at, like how they work like what I like the type of like the, the stuff that they kind of do. I'm like, Oh, that's someone I want to emulate and be like, I could learn something from them. So that's how I, I kind of, that's how I kind of um, gauge it at work as well. If I'm looking for a mentor that way, but most of my mentors, I think I've actually met through met them through. I just kind of ran into these people and it's more like seizing the opportunity. Like, Oh, I see you. It's not just like what I can get from someone. Cause I feel like learning goes both ways, but it's more like, wow, you're amazing. Can I learn? I know I can learn something from you. Let's chat. <laughs> yeah. And you met uh, Ms. Miles? 
Miss Mines. Mines, Mines. Um, in in the military, so then, yes. so mm-hmm. that she was, you know, you're a big figure for you. She has been. Uh, I didn't read about that actually. Um, oh. that <laughs> didn't she also helped you, um, kind of like gather yourself, kind of to move to Chicago and go through yes. this process too. Um, actually, like I'm really blessed that a lot of some academy grads heard my story and I actually got some donations for rent because as I told you, I came here. I think in Ohio, I did package handling which is, I would never wish that, like, God bless everyone that's doing that job. It's a really hard job. I did FedEx package handling to raise money so I could just have enough money for like a down payment for release, et cetera. But yeah, they, they pile all this money together and they're like, Deja, you're going to Chicago and you're going to that boot camp." <laughs> and I it's remember crazy. just crying tears of joy. I was like, I'm going to do this. It's going to work out. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I mean, I, mentors are incredible, um, and they're very important to our everyday like lives. Really, it's not just our work. I think they also influence a lot of a lot personally. You know, like, um, and that's awesome that you had that. So you went through that internship at DRW, and after that, um, what was your next move? Did you stay there for a while, or did you did you? Um, get a role in software engineering before becoming an instructor? What, what was, what, yes. what are you, um, what was your timeline? Um, so, so I was an internship at DRW or I did it. I had an internship, got promoted to full time and I, um, uh, ended up, um, it was a, uh, automation and support engineering role. And then I ended up applying to another company and I'm going to Braintree. And there I got hired as a software engineer. And that was my last role before I, uh, assumed the role of a uh, software engineering instructor at GA. Um, my transition there was, it, it started off really positive, I would say, because, um, it, it seems, it seemed like a place that had a lot of diversity and, um, and that had the goals and values that I wanted to have at my own job. What influenced your decision to kind of leave that software engineering role into becoming an instructor? Oh, good question. Um, so one of my main factors was, I had some health problems at my last job. I ended up having a lot of issues related to work due to health and I had to step back from my role because <laughs> I didn't really have the support I needed, I guess, there. But I, I was, my thought is I always want to do something impactful and I always want to try teaching. My mentor told me, I think you would make a great instructor. Why don't you teach? Why don't you try teaching? So I was like, I think I should try teaching. And it, and I remember um, I got contacted about a role at GA and I, I honestly, I just, I was doing school full time too. I also left Braintree to do school full time. So I was already taking 18 credits at school and I was like, it sounds like a great idea to uh, start a new job and teach. And I, and I honestly do not regret it. I think it was one of the best decisions I made. Like the impact that, like the scene, like today, the students had projects. They presented their, pro- their second project of the course. And from them going to knowing no coding to building apps that one, like pulling apps that, that do anything. Like I saw one, it pulled in the Stravia API and it shows everything. <laughs> like every, it's like we pretty much made Stravia pro with the basic information in the app is amazing. And seeing them grow, I have students now message me, Deja, I got my first role. It's, you know, amazing to just hear like them grow and see them see them go on their journeys themselves. Like I did years ago. It's amazing. Like this is, and hearing and getting feedback from my students that I motivate them every day. It's just, it's such a rewarding job. And I, now I feel like I'm doing something that matters and it has an impact. And it's, I've, it's just amazing. 
<laughs> Absolutely. No, I think mean, that's wonderful. I, I love hearing those type of stories. So, so now that you're working with many students, I mean, I feel like you're seeing a lot of different stories and different paths. Uh, what advice would you share with someone that is looking to get into the tech industry? The main one thing I noticed from a lot of students that I talk to, they always tell me, man, I thought about a boot camp two years ago and I'm just now starting. Or they always bring up that. I'm sure someone listening right now is thinking, maybe I'll do the boot camp next year. Maybe I'll do it two years from now. Why not today? I think people look at software engineering, software development, et cetera, as super challenging and hard. But maybe there's so many resources online. I would say if you're curious about a language, if you're curious about just dabbling your feet in, there's tons of tutorials out there. Um, just go ahead and Google one and just work through it. Just work through it. See how things work. Just do some, do a basic like to do app or something. And you'll see like, wow, I made that. I built this and, and maybe look into it. Look at stories. There's a review site, switch up, look at review, look at stories, look at people that have been through boot camps to, to see their journey and not just boot camps, right? I'm not, I don't want to bash the traditional way. Cause I just finished my degree in May. So now I went to a boot camp and I have a bachelor's of science and computer science. I see benefits both ways. I think if you're curious, hit someone up on LinkedIn, just me message me on LinkedIn. I will, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll share with you more. Ask me questions. I think the first thing is just look, look up a YouTube, just go out there and just search for knowledge and see what it might be like for you. Because I think, I think that first step is, is scary because a lot of people, boot camps are daunting and they are kind of long. Or even if you go to schools, people can't do both. People can't work and do both. Some people, you might have to maybe not do a job, maybe do the boot camp full time, but it's most definitely worth looking into, I think. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, you know, let's get real. Let's, let's, why don't we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion here, like in general, because I also have my strong opinions about the industry and some some companies in Chicago. So like your experience with the I in as a software engineer is likely different than mine coming kind of, mm -hmm. you know, being a non-technical person and working with people. I feel like companies struggle a lot with the I. I feel like they are not entirely serious about it yet. They're just doing it because it looks good because they want us appear that they are you know care where people <laughs> of color were not blind yes to their intentions I, I believe like many people will claim that we're we're trying we're doing our best here we are we want to hire more people of color but when it comes down to it they don't follow through they they put excuses in the you know they they add they make things harder for people to to have access to their their programs or even their you know jobs i like it's it's heartbreaking to really see this um i and i'm not going to and I, I know that i'm being a little bit like negative nancy here <laughs> but i i feel like it's a real problem and that we need to be kind of speaking about this like and i feel like now more than ever there's start people are starting to magically realize the importance of of like people of color in your companies, but it's just so frustrating to be seeing this like firsthand and experiencing these pro these problems, right? There are there are companies that have one or two women of color in in their two hundred staff, you know, like engineering like department. It, that's I don't know how they can be okay with that. Like I I don't know how they don't put actual goals in their like strategies 
I I'm curious to really just hear your experience going through this. It's just so yeah. frustrating. Like, it, it is. Fr- I will say it's frustrating. I will say you're one thing I'll say is you're not being a negative Nancy because these are real problems that we face today. It's very interesting now. I see a lot of this talk now surrounding it. And the biggest, I've had discussions at my company um, about this in groups with other employees or other or other groups of people. And the, the same theme comes up. I see why now, why now? And a lot of anger comes from, I'll speak for the, the messages I see from other people of color, black people uh, specifically saying, why now? Why do you care now? Um, I think a lot of it is because of this media attention. But another part I think is, is there are a few problems here, right? Because a lot of things that, one thing that's always cited is the pipeline problem, because that's one that companies will admit. They're like, where can we get, where can we get pools of people from, right? That's one problem. But what about the other problem? What about retention of these people, right? You get in these people of color and you see you can, most, most companies have their briefings. You can probably find a common, common, like some of the big four, you see their numbers. You see that these people, the retention rates are worse than the usual. The usual already isn't that right. I think two to three years for millennials. But now you see, you see that um, you'll see a, a woman, a black woman, Hispanic woman get into a role and then they, they only last a few months. And then I feel like a lot, if a lot of companies, if they do care, why don't you ask, why don't you look at those numbers and ask why? Why are we retain? It's not just getting those people in the door. It's about retaining those people. Because I know not just myself personally. I know a lot of people that have been through a lot of things at these companies, and they claim they care. But when people do speak up or do try to defend themselves, action is not taken. So I, I just it's very interesting. I wonder um, if a company claims to care, what are they actually doing besides just talk? That would be my wondering question. What are you actually doing to keep those people there? How are you supporting? Um, one thing I do notice as um, one thing I notice for my own self, I have my own, we all have our own special needs and different groups of people, how they identify, they have special, they have their own unique needs as well. And those are usually never addressed. So I, I think that is a big, I think, you know, the pipeline problem isn't just the issue. I think also what are these companies doing to retain talent? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes, and I've seen it happen, I've I personally have seen it happen, where they hire, um, you know, people of color, like one or two, and then they tokenize them, they put them everywhere on their website, they highlight their stories and how great they you know, are doing because of the company. And once you squeeze all of that out of them, then they last about two more months or three more months. Because you're like, it's really sad to see that they're taking advantage of people's stories and sharing them and putting them on blast, thinking just getting a good press. But, but in reality, there's like no support internally for them. You know, it, it just, it, I've seen it happen to some of my friends and it's really, it's really disgusting to be honest. Like, it's just, are they really that oblivious to that? No, right? Like, they just, yeah, they can't, they capital. can't. Be. They can't. I just think more has to be done. And I hope to see, hopefully with all of this, like that's going on and us having everyone, hopefully we're, people are have, we're having discussions outside of our communities and people are actually willing to listen and actually receive our experiences. I don't know how, I feel like that's the first step is having those, you know, actually having dialogue and actually listening to people that are working at these companies and asking, what can we do better? What actions can we take? And honestly, I think part of it is that it's, it's like the support thing is the biggest thing. 
It's like, if I don't feel like I'm supporting my job by my manager, by et cetera, then, because what do they usually say? People don't quit. People usually quit. People don't quit the job per se. They quit their manager. They quit the leadership. (laughs) It's leadership that's failed these people that are leaving. And the company, not, because usually I see people on great teams, but that's not, sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. Um, I feel like there are so many managers and directors and, you know, whatever out there that don't necessarily understand there there's this disconnect with current culture and how we how we operate how millennials operate i guess you could say or how this how we expect now things to be so it's definitely like an interesting topic but and yes even more interesting because you point that out it's like that's another thing too right it's not just hiring people the culture is the people that are already there and every time you hire a new person the culture shifts just a little bit right mm-hmm. so i i could have like i've had experience the company to hire a new person that might not believe might not believe in diversity might not right and they're adding they're adding more i don't want to say trauma per se but sometimes it, i would say i say the trauma because it adds to the trauma like i feel like if i if we think about our experiences and we reflect on them negatively and i'm so you know we're supposed to motivate people to want to be in this field what can we do to make it better for everybody like, shouldn't that be the goal? It's just, I could totally go about this all day, honestly. No, yeah. The, I mean, and we, can, we can talk all day on this. I feel like most companies are definitely struggling to find um, a balance of how to, you know, operate and how to cater to, you know, our people of color and how, how we can work together to kind of make things happen. So I'm, I hope that we can go in the, I don't know, I hope that we can get to a good place where that's been that people are actually taking care of themselves and yeah that too yeah because like there's a big aspect like i we have to protect our mental health right because it's exhausting like you said before being in these spaces where some people might be the token some people there was i can't remember what company that was they they only had one black woman at this company she wasn't even in a certain position and she ends up giving the whole dsi speech and it's like that happened those are those are true stories and it's crazy I'm glad we kind of touched on it. Um, I let's just kind of get back to your story now. <laughs> no, no worries, no worries. Um, we should totally talk about this during call. I know, and yeah, for sure. So now this is just like my own curiosity that I always ask people: What's next for you? What's next for Deja? <laughs> well, I, I completely love my job at General Assembly. I see, I see myself staying a teacher for a bit, but I am working on my own project. Um, one of my one one thing, me and another. Um, a team of two other individuals, we, we're doing, um, we're starting our own, we have a startup, it's called Tech 10X, and we're, we're looking, this is something in Chicago, the goal is to support underrepresented groups, minorities, into, into software engineering roles, so right now, it's, it, it's going to start out more as a mentorship thing, I went through a program at University of Chicago, um, i we did that, and now we're in the steps of uh, trying to figure out uh, allocation of money and trying to yellow light this thing. So the goal, the goal is, is I, I'm, I'm from a big, I'm originally from Michigan. I was born in Detroit, but one thing I noticed in Detroit and in Chicago, a lot of people tend to leave after they get a certain job. They don't stay in their neighborhood. So one of the things that I wanted, um, one of the things I want to work on is make a support network for pe- for engineering professionals from underrepresented groups in Chicago. And I think from there, if we have that support amongst each other, it'll help us. It'll help all of us stay in the field. It'll help us have that support network. People will want to stay because 
People will want to stay in this wonderful city of Chicago, and I think it'll be a great thing. But right now, it's in the infancy stages. But my goal, I, I really want to find ways to help people and help the community. So that's that's one of the things I'm thinking about. That's awesome. Yeah, and I actually, it's Nicole, right? Nicole and Desmond? Oh, yes, and Desmond. Yeah, I, I chatted with them uh, earlier this year uh, when you guys were going through that um, program uh, with the University of Chicago because you guys got a grant, I think. Yes, we had to and, Yeah, so I was interviewed by them about my thoughts on the community, and I was, I think I had very similar conversations with them about the DI aspect of things in tech, um, so that was really illuminating. So best of luck with that. That sounds like an amazing, you know, um, amazing like mission. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, have you heard of rewriting the code? No, I haven't. So rewriting the code is, is mostly for students that are in computer science um, right now, like women. So um, all, I think, I believe they're all over the country um, and they have like monthly meetings and things like that, but um, they uh, support women that are in computer science with like study groups, with like opportunities and, and uh, they're basically kind of influencing them so they don't leave because that's one big problem that you mentioned that uh, women and people of color that are going through a computer science degree end up getting frustrated, frustrating and leaving because they don't have yes. the support that they need. So I feel like this group is also doing that similar, um, similar work. Um, so that might be a good partner for you guys in the future. So you should definitely look into them. Um, but I, I would love to hear more about what you guys are doing in your, with your startup. Um, and you know, however I can support, feel free to reach out. Um, I think that's a great, the, the great mission. So that's, that's awesome. Thank you for doing yeah, that. that. No, that's awesome that they're doing that because, um, I won't get too much into it, but I remember being in, at the Naval Academy, I remember people not wanting to study with me. You know, and I'm guessing it's because of color, like skin color, not sure. And I and I remember going to my last job and I remember talking to someone from Canada and I didn't even, I don't even think of Canada, you know, I don't, I'm not from Canada. I only can know of people's experiences from people that are from there. I do have, uh, my fiance has cousins there, but one, one, she, she was, uh, um, that's why I'm like, wow, we really need to support all women of color. She's an Asian woman. And she told me how when she went to school in Canada, she was the only woman in her class, her entry class. And they would call her out. Same stuff happened to me. No one wanted to study with her, et cetera. And it's like those, like that, having that support at all levels is important. Cause my, cause Tech to Next is more about supporting people that are already in the field. So I feel like we need support at all of these different levels throughout the journey. If we don't have that, we're going to lose people. We're not going to retain them. So it's more, I think a part of it, um, one thing I got from one of my uh, one of the conversations I had about like things that are going on now um, with with um, Black Lives Matter, et cetera. We need to we need to create our own or we need to maybe we need to go into creating our own support systems. And one of that's why I was look that's why Tech to Next is a thing. I'm thinking that once people are actually in the field, they need support too. And that's awesome that there's all of these. I'm I'm hearing about these programs from you at different levels because I think all of that stuff is needed to support us. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like, and you know, I, you kind of uh, alluded to this, but uh, you know, I, I work for uh, code for America and one of our motives is that no one's coming. It's up to us. 
So I feel like that's kind of like what I'm living by now, day by day. No one's coming. You know, we need to be the ones to stand up for ourselves and we have to be self, like we have to practice self-advocacy and just yes, try to really make things happen ourselves and support others. And it, it's this, this era, if anything, with Black Lives Matter and with COVID and every, all these situations, if anything, it's bringing collaboration up and we have to be here to support each other and, and do better. And I, I hope that that's kind of where the direction it is that we're going. Um, even with, within the tech industry, companies are getting called out because show me your board. How many people of color you have in there? Like that, and, and there's, this, like, um, there's this push for equity and inclusion. And I hope that we can sustain it. I hope that we show up for ourselves and that companies show up for us too um, and, and create a better, you know, a better workforce. Anyway. Um, I do want to give people the opportunity to connect with you. So how can people connect with you? Do you have any social media channels? Well, I think the best way to connect to me is on LinkedIn. And I'm pretty sure it's Deja.Baker at LinkedIn because I (laughs) said it to my own name. So if you search Deja Baker on LinkedIn, I will be there. And if anyone wants to shoot me a message, talk tech, how is it going to a boot camp, computer science curriculum, Getting out of the Navy, veterans out there, please reach out to me. I'm here and I will, I'm here to help everyone. I'm here to share the knowledge. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Uh, thank you so much for, for uh, agreeing to be on the show. I, I feel like, you know, your story is amazing and I, re- I really want people to get to know you. And, and, and oh, thank, no, thank you for having me. Like, like, I really need to get to know you more because we keep just running into each other and that, well, it's COVID right now, but I'm most definitely going to contact you once. Think, like hope maybe phase five or six maybe yeah. <laughs> for sure I'm, I'm available anytime <laughs> thank you for listening to this week's episode of the chicago techies podcast if you enjoy listening don't forget to subscribe share and leave a review on itunes let's continue the conversation on twitter and instagram follow us at chicago techies on all social media channels thank you again and we'll see you in two weeks